Good morning. I'm a mess. Anyone else ever feel that way? Truth be told, we're all pretty ordinary individuals. And our worlds aren't always neat and tidy. Our environments aren't always clean and healthy. Sometimes, sometimes often, life is just plain messy. But throughout history, God has chosen, yes, deliberately chosen, to use his kids to exalt him in their very messy worlds, even amidst, sometimes, their own messy behavior. If you read Hebrews 11, a chapter focused on faith, you see that God used Abraham, despite his deceitfulness, Moses, despite his anger, Gideon, despite his fear, David, despite his adultery and murder, Samson, despite his pride, and the list goes on. God was honest about the behavior of each, but here's what he highlighted. Faith, trust, belief, and dependence. And that's what I love in the historical account of Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which we'll be focusing on in the next several weeks. Their belief, their conviction, turned into action. Daniel and his friends were young. We don't know how old, possibly 16 or 17. They and their people had been conquered, and they'd been taken captive. They were taken 500 miles from their home in the city of Jerusalem to the land of Babylon in the country we now know today as Iraq. Daniel, we know, was born during King Josiah's reign. So in King Josiah, Daniel would have seen a leader who stood for what was right in the midst of evil. He saw the difference that one godly leader could make. In the midst of a culture that had turned pagan, the word of the Lord was found in the temple. And this was during King Josiah's time. It's a fascinating story, and because it's part of Daniel's story, I think it's wise for us to just take a quick look into King Josiah's into his fascinating uh, reign as king, and that's found in 2 Kings 22. Here's what we read. Speaking of King Josiah, when the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. And there was a prophetess named Huldah at that time who said, who spoke these words to King Josiah. Here's what the Lord says. You were sorry and humbled yourself before the Lord. You tore your clothing in despair and wept before me in repentance, and I have indeed heard you. And then in chapter 23, the story goes on, and it goes like this. The king took his place of authority beside the altar and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord with all his heart and soul, and all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. Israel at this time had turned from the Lord. The culture in Judah at this time was anti-God, and it was saturated with occult practices. In fact, as we read in the following verses, God's house, so just imagine this building, God's house, the temple, was actually being used as a place of prostitution and Satan worship. Josiah's own grandfather, Manasseh, and his father, Ammon, had actually promoted such practices, and yet... Josiah, one person, believed God's word. 
and he acted on it. Here's what we are told that he did in verse 6. The king removed the Asherah pole from the Lord's temple. He also tore down the living quarters of the male and female shrine prostitutes that were inside the temple of the Lord. My Bible notes tell me that Asherah was a chief goddess of the Canaanites. Her worship glorified sex and war and was accompanied by male prostitution. And that's what was going on in the temple at that time. Judah was a mess. The very nation that God had deliberately chosen to tell the world who he was was a mess. And it was into this mess that Daniel was born and before him, King Josiah. How old Daniel was when King Josiah became king, we don't know. But he would have grown up hearing the accounts of this king who had a righteous zeal for, God's, for Israel's God to be honored once again. King Josiah, who stood in awe of God's holiness. This king who simply took God at his word. As we continue the story of King Josiah, we're told this in verse 24. Josiah also got rid of the mediums and psychics, the household gods, the idols, and every other kind of detestable practice. Never before had there been a king like Josiah, who turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength. And there has never been a king like him since. Like Josiah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah knew to whom they belonged. Like Josiah, they knew their God, and they acted on what they knew. They were convinced, and they lived out that conviction. What is it that they knew about their God? Let's get into Daniel 1 and take a look. Daniel 1 is our introduction to the beginning of life for Daniel and his friends in a new land, in an affluent culture that placed a premium on education, but was very anti-God. In a place where their feelings might have told them otherwise, Daniel and his friends knew that their God is sovereign, that he was the one who was truly reigning over the mess. In Daniel 1, we see three instances where Daniel reminds us to focus on the one who's truly sovereign. First, when Daniel begins writing chapter 1, and he begins the account of him and his people being ripped from their home, here's how he records it. Verse 1, during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. It looked like King Nebuchadnezzar was in charge, but he was actually in God's hand. Then came the three years of training required by the king, by King Nebuchadnezzar, in order to enter into his service. And when we read this account, it's here that Daniel drew a line in the sand and he made up his mind to stay true to his God. He was being asked, 
he and his friends were being asked to eat food that had been, that was the king's food. But it was food that was associated with idols, with occult worship, and with unclean animals forbidden by God for the Israelites. The man in charge of Daniel and his friends worked with him. And then rather than attribute that success to himself, David writes this, or sorry, Daniel writes this. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. Once again, Daniel does not point at himself and his goodness and his wisdom, but he rather points to the sovereign working of God in his life. God had given. Finally, the last example, after three years of study and preparation, Daniel and his friends stood before King Nebuchadnezzar. And again, Daniel directs our attention, not to himself, but to God. In verse 17, he writes, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom, and God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of vision, visions and dreams. Daniel knew his God was the one ultimately in charge, despite the way things around him appeared. What else did Daniel know? Secondly, Daniel knew that it was his God that was worthy and deserving of his loyalty. Back to verse 8 and 9, where we read about Daniel drawing that line in the sand and saying, I'm not going to associate myself with idols, with the occult worship. We read this, Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Daniel knew who was worthy of his loyalty. Thirdly, Daniel knew that his God was trustworthy. And so, when faced with a decision, he took that step of faith, determining not to defile himself, the same uh, scenario with this food, determining not to defile himself, Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah knew the identity of their God. And because they knew his identity, they knew their own. And they could confidently walk in that identity. In a world that was trying to change who they were through its language, its literature, its cultural norms, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah knew from where their identity came. The goal of Nebuchadnezzar, whether he realized his own motives or not, was to distract the gaze of these four young men to change their identity and what they knew. 
You see, each of these young men had names that were centered on God, that were anchored in the character of God. Daniel means, God is my judge. Hananiah, the Lord shows grace. Mishael, who is what God is, or who is like God? Azariah, the Lord helps. These young men were given new names upon entering the king's training, and these names were Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Names that were associated with idols, with the God, little g, of this world, who, as we're told in 2 Corinthians 4.4, blinds eyes and darkens minds. But Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were not ashamed of their identity. They were not ashamed of whose they were. They knew the power of God's truth, and they lived in it, lived it, as we read in Romans. They were not ashamed of the gospel. They knew it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and that was them, and also to the Greek, and those were the people that they were living among. They knew that the righteous live by faith. And because they knew, they could confidently walk out their conviction, making deliberate choices while confidently resting in God's sovereignty. Like Paul, centuries later, the anthem of their lives in a messy and dark world was, I am not ashamed, and because I'm not ashamed, I will walk by faith. What more did Daniel know? Daniel knew that each person, each individual, mattered to his God. And so in a messy world, we see in his interactions in the first chapter of Daniel that he walked in relationship with and respect for others. Here's how the story goes. Back to this whole scenario with the food and Daniel drawing his line, line in the sand. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. Why? Because Daniel had built a relationship with that man who was in charge. And it was a relationship of respect and kindness. Because Daniel and his friends knew their God, they walked in wisdom, not their own, but God's. And as they did so, it pointed the unbelieving to him. At the end of Daniel chapter 1, here's what we read. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, and that was a period of three years of study, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. They talked with him, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. 
Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah knew that there is only one name to exalt. And as you keep reading the story of Daniel, you see that they knew the importance of prayer. They deliberately walked through the doors that God opened for them. They were clear in conviction and speech. They walked in wisdom. They understood that every person has a name and is worthy to be known by name. They respected. They built relationships. They treated kindly. Their speech was gracious and welcoming. They knew their God. And so they walked with him very deliberately with steps of faith in a messy world. And others noticed. And God was exalted. Their lives reflected what Daphne read from Colossians 4. It's a reminder to me and to all of us as God's kids to realize the importance of prayer, to walk through the doors that God opens, to speak the message of Christ alone, and to do so clearly, to speak that message with wisdom, winsomeness, and grace, and to cultivate a relationship with each person that God puts in our world. Happy Thanksgiving.